As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Today on the show, we welcome Dan Olson. Dan is the author of The Lean Product Playbook, which is a formula for product success. Dan is a longtime product manager and current consultant. His clients have included Facebook and Box, among many, many others. So this is a great episode on high-level product management theory and how Dan approaches product management for companies large and small. So stay tuned. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. In season four of Rocketship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. So basically, um, I started out with a technical background. I've been coding since I was 10. I was an electrical engineering major. And actually, my first job out of college was doing submarine design. 
which in hindsight was just very technical product management. I didn't know that at the time. And then I got a master's in industrial engineering at night where I studied lean manufacturing and um, some other awesome concepts. And then uh, after five years, I knew I wanted to go leverage my technical background, like get an MBA. Back then, that was kind of the main thing that you would do. You say, okay, I want to get more on the business side. But I always loved innovation and technology. So um, I got into Stanford Business School and moved out to Silicon Valley to attend that. And that's where, you know, in figuring out all the different career choices, I learned that there's this thing called product management. And once I learned about it, I'm like, that's exactly what I want to do. Because <laughs> right. you kind of work with technologists, you're involved with technology, but you're solving, creating, you know, business value and making people's lives better, right? Yeah. So then I was re- recognizing that I had never worked in it. I said, I asked everybody uh, that I knew at the business school, like, where's the best place to go to learn this? Because I want to learn it. And hands down, everybody said Intuit is the place to go learn. Okay. And, you know, these days, product management is a, is a much better understood function and discipline. Back then, there were very few companies that really got it and yeah. were great at it, and Intuit was. And so I got an offer at Intuit. I went there on the Quicken team as a PM. And it was like this post-MBA, like I learned more about product management, honestly, at Intuit than in business school. I obviously learned a lot of great concepts and important knowledge from business school that I apply, but it was basically like I was walking into a product management machine. The Quicken team had been doing this for a while, and so it was like kind of a well-defined process, but you still had latitude to kind of innovate and tweak it and try things out. And so I just learned from the best um, product management, marketing, UX design, how to do user research. We had a PhD user researcher, you know, and, and I think in, increasingly as people want to do customer discovery interviews or write surveys, there's definitely right ways and wrong ways. And I learned those the hard way, mainly through this expert and working yeah. with them um, and working with developers. So, uh, yeah, so Intuit was great. I worked there for five years, kind of got promoted, um, led that team, got to do like a web project within Intuit, which was really cool. And then after Intuit... Um, I was like, okay, I've learned what I've came to learn. I want to go and apply these, uh, these lessons I've learned at startups. I want to go kind of go to a smaller startup. So I worked at a couple of startups. Um, and then after my third web product, I was like, you know what? I've been coding since I was 10. I just know how to code this web stuff. So I went and took all these product, I took all these, um, product development classes, like, you know, like HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And I was taking all those classes, and I got an offer to be VP of product at startup. I literally was taking 20 hours of class. So I said, hey, guys, I can't be your full-time VP, but I'd love to work with you. Can we work out some kind of hourly arrangement? Mm-hmm. That's how I stumbled into being a product management consultant oh, and wow. being an interim right. VP of product. Okay. Right. And so I did that for two and a half years. I did it for them, and then I did it for You Send It, then I did it for Box. And then I finally had my own idea for my own startup, which I always wanted to do, and I was trying to juggle doing 20 hours a week consulting for Box and getting my startup off the ground. Mm-hmm. Most entrepreneurs know it takes like 110% of your time. So yep. I stopped consulting and did my startup for four years. Did a little bit of consulting you know, while I was doing the startup. But um, four years later, when, I, when we kind of uh, wound up the startup, then that's when I went back to being a consultant. It was all the better for it, having been a startup CEO and yeah. um, got much more involved in that. So, yeah, so that's my path uh, to product nice. management. I'm a yeah. product management consultant now, and, and I help companies, um, either earlier stage startups like post-series A startups, where they don't have a VP of product, or later stage companies, or big companies, where they want to just improve their product skill set, and I come in and coach and help the team. Yeah, it's interesting that we have that as a consulting role now, almost like a CFO, right? Mm-hmm. Before a company gets big yeah. enough to, um, it, it, it is that important, and, and you need it. I'm curious, like, one of the things that we continually hear on this path is how many different skill sets you need. How it, like... If someone wants to come in and, and, and just be a product manager, right, 
what does that mean? Like, what are they actually asking? I agree. To do? It's so many different skill sets. And yeah. It's a disparate range, and it's hard. And so, you know, sometimes I go into one of these bigger clients, and we'll talk about the role and responsibilities, and and I'll be like, some of the PMs, and they'll be like, you're asking for a Superman PM. Nobody can do all those things, you know. <laughs> I'm like, well. You know, actually, there are some people who can, and it's yeah. tough. So, so I have always embraced learning the adjacent skill set. So, you know, um, being technical certainly helps. Like, there's always this question: Do you have to be able to code? Do you need a CS degree? Certainly, you don't. You just need to be technical. You when you right. go to ask a developer for something, you want to be credible and not ask for something that's going to take a year and look dumb and know right. is it a front end thing or a back end thing or what's the implication? Mm-hmm. Roughly the scope, right? That's it. That's the reason why is to have credibility and to, and to kind of know the scope. Likewise, I learned right away design is really important and into it, right? Um, and uh, so that's why there's a de- whole chapter on UX design. I'm a big believer in the overlap of PM. And obviously, PMs are never going to be the best designers, nor what I expect them to. But I expect mm-hmm. there's huge value in learning about the adjacent functions in the value chain of creating products, right? right. So dev and design are, are no-brainers. I just mentioned market research. Increasingly, you know, there, there are best practices. And if you're interviewing a user, how to not ask leading questions, open, you know, closed questions, sure. you know, things like that. Um, survey design. Analytics. You know, analytics data. is increasingly important. Yeah. Data, right? So, you know, um, I happened to get a master's in industrial engineering and did a statistics classes and operations research classes and things like that. So um, it's, it may seem, I could totally understand how it seems a little overwhelming. And so I think you have to prioritize and the way I think about it, there's different models. So people talk about a T-shaped person where you're, the T, the horizontal top of the T is you are like an inch deep in a lot of different skills and yeah. really deep in one. Okay. Not to be outdone, some people created the pie person where you're deep in two areas, you know. Okay. And the way I think about it is actually what's called a broken comb model. So if you take a, like a typical men's comb, the black plastic comb, mm-hmm. and you flip it upside down with the teeth pointing up, and the teeth are basically broken at different lengths. It's kind of like an equalizer Right, sound system, right? right? So, right. okay, on UX design, am I like an eight or am I a six, right? <laughs> on analytics, am I a five or a six? And I think so, you know, and, and I, I'm actually one of the top things I want to write about in the next few months is I've been thinking a lot about product management skills and okay. creating a framework of what is the whole, how do we think at our head around the whole universe yeah. of skills that we need? So, yeah, yeah. it can be very daunting, um, you know, to, to do all that. Road mapping, um, communication, right? Managing expectations, talking to stakeholders, yeah. You know, prioritization. Prioritization is always one of the key skills. And actually, the last one I'll say is what, it's actually interesting, because when we would interview at Intuit, we were in the very fortunate position of only hiring, only recruiting from like the top business schools. That's okay. basically how you became a product manager. So everyone in the interview was pretty smart. So yeah. it's kind of silly when we do the debriefs and somebody like, you know, this person's you know, 3% smarter than that person. I'm like, it doesn't really matter. Right? That's not the thing to discriminate on, right? You need it, and the two things that that were helpful to discriminate. One was just passion for our product and into it. That ended up being really important. But the second one from a skill standpoint was what I call dynamic range. And what that means is, as a PM, your job is to connect the high-level vision, right, the 30,000-foot vision, with the tactical details of what are we doing in this scrum, right? So that's like some people are really good at tactical details but can't see the forest for the trees, right? Other people are great at the 30,000-foot level but can't get their way out of a paper bag, right? And so it's like, where, where's the comfort zone? Where's the dynamic range of a PM? And I think good product people are able to zoom in, up and zoom down as needed um, you yeah. know, and understand how it should all nest and fit together. Right, and really communicate with the top, the CEO, your, your C-suite, and then the, the team actually doing the implementation work and build trust on all fronts, mm-hmm. right? Um, so why, why did you write the book? What was the motivation? What, what, was the, what did you want people to get out of it? 
Yeah, I mean, the book, frankly, emerged from my speaking. So I've been speaking since 2007 mm-hmm. and sharing best practices in product management. Um, at that point, the best practices I had learned and cobbled together, and then obviously I continued to learn. As a consultant, one of the, one of the unintended side benefits of being a product management consultant is seeing all these different product teams quickly and right. seeing what they were doing right, what they weren't doing. These guys are trying this, it's working out. These guys are trying this, it's not working out. Mm-hmm. You know, It accelerated my learning a lot. And um, so I, and, and as I would give talks, I would work in new concepts. I'd get questions from PMs. Well, what about this? And I'd add slides. Okay, oh, you want to know how to do a user interview? Great. I'll put some slides in on user interview. Oh, you want to know road mapping? Okay, I'll create a talk on road mapping. Oh, you guys want analytics? Okay, I'll do analytics. Right. Yep. So I would kind of evolved, iterated each talk, added new talks. Um, and then I actually was like, one day, I was given a workshop and I was reflecting, and some people were asking all these details. It was a workshop, so it was like all day, and people were asking these detailed questions. Like, okay, what do you do next? What's the first step? And I started asking, and I'm like, well, I can actually put this in a sequence of steps that you do. Like, first, get clear on your target customer. Second, what are their needs, right? And so um, the talks kept getting more and more kind of like a, t- a playbook thing, right? Okay. And so, and that's, and I, and I also heard a lot from people like, hey, this experience of, hey, I go see a speaker talk or I read a blog post or read a book and I get all fired up. I'm hugely motivated to try to apply these lessons and I get them at a high level, but then I get back to my team or my company and I don't really know the details of what to do, right? Yeah. And so that's why people want this kind of, you know, like prescriptive, hey, here's what you do. And obviously there's a bunch of it depends throughout, you know. Yep. Um, and so I gave a talk at Google that got posted online and my publisher reached out to me and said, hey, we thought about writing a book. And I said, actually, I have. I just haven't got around to doing it. Yeah. And then I used the time, I think one of the key things is I used the time to write the book to kind of get the football over the finish line. Like those concepts and the frameworks are all kind of there and iterating and coming together. Yep. But by carving out the time to do the thinking work to really bring the, create the product market fit pyramid for the first time, mm-hmm. and create the six-step lean product process that is directly aligned with that, that, that basically was, was what kind of helped put it all together. And then, you know, in writing the book, I wanted it to be not only pragmatic, like a playbook, but also the most comprehensive book out there. I was like, if I'm going to write a book, I want it to cover most of the things you need to know as a PM. And that's why Above and Beyond the Lean Product Process, because UX design is so important, it's got a whole chapter on that. Yeah. And then, you know, once you validate your product, I'm a big fan of validating with clickable prototypes, tappable prototypes, before you do any coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you do that, then you need to do agile development. So there's a chapter on that that covers Scrum and Kanban. And then once you have a live product, then you can actually use the power of analytics to optimize and improve it. So there's two chapters on that. Yep. So, yeah. so it sounds like you, you've laid out a, a very like repeatable mm-hmm. structure. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can you articulate it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah like, definitely. I, I like to yeah, and, and I think to tie it back is what I saw after, I think it's just a function of having worked on products myself as a PM, both at Intuit and at Startups, having been a CEO and founder, and then working with so many companies, it's like there were so many different products I was working on that this yeah. meta pattern emerged. Like yeah. if you want to achieve product market fit, obviously the details change depending on the product, but these conditions must hold true. And that's what leads to the product market fit pyramid. So yeah. it all starts with target customer. You have to know who your target customer is. That's whose life you want to make better and create value for. Yep. The next layer up is what are their underserved needs. So you have to have a good handle on what, for that customer, what are their underserved needs, not the ones that are served well, um, and that's the market. That's the two layers that form the market in the product market for parent. The next layer up that ideally everything builds on itself. When it's like a series of like if A and B and C and D, then product market fit. That's kind of the idea, right? Okay. And I was the, the previous podcast interview I did. Someone's like, "Oh, it makes sense. You're an engineer. It's so like well organized <laughs> and logical." I'm like, yeah, I used to be an engineer, so you know. Um, so I want that rigor, that thoughtful rigor of how does it all hang together, right? And then the next level up is value prop. So great, you know. 
which of those underserved needs are we going to actually tackle in our product and how are we going to do so in a way that's better than the competition? Next level up is feature set. That's where MVP comes in. What functionality do we need to build to actually deliver those benefits? Mm -hmm. That's where you want to do MVP so you don't build too far before you realize you're going in the wrong direction. And then finally, UX design, like how, the actual user interface that brings the functionality to life that the customer um, interacts with to get the benefits. That's the product market fit pyramid. The lean product process works sequentially through those steps from the bottom of the pyramid to the top. And then there's a sixth step, which is once you have a UX design, either in a prototype mm -hmm. or a live product, you then close the loop with step six and you test it with customers to see where you're at with product market fit. Yep. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. And so the lean product process, um, is that based on like the Toyota model? What was... It's really, it's really, the, the, the lean is really kind of, um, you know, it's funny because uh, I have a slide where I show a Venn diagram of lean and product management, and there's like okay. tons of overlap, right? Yeah. You go to the lean startup conference that I've spoken at a bunch of times, it's like tons of product managers there, and it makes sense. Who's responsible for achieving product market fit, right? Yep. So I think lean has tremendously, the lean startup movement has tremendously benefit, benefited PMs because it's given us a vocabulary, mm. you know, product market fit, MVP, pivot. Uh, hypotheses, you know, right. experiments that we can kind of use to kind of explain it to other people who aren't familiar with it and get buy-in, basically, right? So it's not based on, it's, it's my own homegrown methodology yeah, no. after having seen it. And, you know, some of the things that people like is that I'm actually bringing in other models. Like, like I happened to study the Kano model before I moved to Silicon Valley and was a product manager. Mm -hmm. I learned it in lean manufacturing. Right. But then I right. figured a way to kind of use it to kind of clarify your benefits and your value prop as must-have features versus performance features versus delighters, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, so I just, I, I, I kind of created it on my own. Another thing is, like, when I was at Intuit, I created an importance versus satisfaction framework for prioritization. Okay. And then a few years later, after I left Intuit, I discovered Tony Olwick's book, What Customer Wants. And he has his own quantitative importance satisfaction. Sure. So I was like, ding, ding, ding. So I'm <laughs> on to something because someone else independently. And you see that time and again. You know, totally. I've been talking about problem space since 2007. And yeah. you know, many of the speakers today talked about problem space. It's just, like, it's, it's just kind of permeating. These yep. concepts are permeating. And all I really did is kind of bake in my own concepts but create a process. You know? And, yeah. and it, you know, a lot of it... It's user-centered design kind of all over again, right? It's just right. like, hey, let's get clear on who the customer is. I know, ago, right? Yeah, yeah so it's, it's just, brilliant. it's like a repackaging. In a sense, Lean Startup, uh, you know, obviously there are a lot of new ideas added, but it's a, a smart repackaging of old ideas in a way it that resonates with people. Right? Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. But it, it's nice to give the next generation or the next technological use case, be it now web development or software development, um, that verbiage as well, so right. they can talk about it. Because yeah. when I started, you know, ten years ago, you, there wasn't a clear, maybe at the big companies, but at the startups, there wasn't a clear sure. product role, right? It was sure. somebody was owning it. But so I'm curious, like at the companies that that you are consulting at, you get to see a lot. Mm -hmm. What are some of the common mistakes that they're making in in, in product and, and the management of it? Well, I think you know. Um, in the second chapter of my book, I talk about problem space and solution space, and I think it's just a recurring challenge that you know, we live in a solution space where we live in the real world. People just naturally think about solutions, and so your job as a PM is to disassociate solutions from problems and say, okay, what are we trying to do for the user in the abstract? Mm. You know, so often, company stakeholders or VPs or people say, okay, you need to go build this. They dictate the solution and what you need to build. And I just in my Q&A session, you know, last night at dinner it came up. It's like, 
maybe as a junior PM, you're just like, okay, I'm not going to challenge that. I'm just going to salute and say, yeah, I'll go take right. that hill. Right. And then lo and behold, you launch it and it, does, it doesn't succeed. And you make the bad assumption that, oh, that VP or that whoever person must have thought it all through. They must know what they're talking about, right? right. And you realize in a lot of cases, the emperor has no clothes. There's no why. There's no radical, rational, logical framework behind it. Yep. Another example is, you know, say in a B2B enterprise software company, big client A says, you got to build FutureX for me. And you go and build it. You salute and say, yes, sir. And you build it and you launch it. And then they don't use it. They don't like it. Yep. It's because they didn't even, they weren't even clear on what the problem was, you know, yep. uh, they wanted to solve. So your job is to say, that's great. That's great. But let me use these different methods to get at what the underlying problem is. And then I'll determine and in, independently assess, is that the best solution or not? You know, or are there other solutions that we could do? Yeah. Even better ROI solutions, perhaps. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so thank you for for doing this. Um, where do we find the book? Where do we keep up with you and your writing, your work um, online? Yeah. So the book's on Amazon, Lean Product Playbook. Um, it's out in Turkish right now as well. There's a, a Kindle, an Audible, you know, um, depending on what format you like, as well as the hardcover. It's coming out in Chinese and Thai. Wow. Nice. And uh, yeah. I have so, to ask why Turkish? I don't know. Apparently, okay, I, you know, I told somebody, I told, I met someone from Turkey. I'm like, hey, did you, you know, they like followed me on Twitter. I'm like, oh, did you see my book in Turkey? She's like, no, I didn't know. But they're like, oh, apparently product management is growing in Turkey. So, wow, that's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> there's also like an Indian paper book back in India. But um, so you can go to leanproductplaybook.com to learn it. To learn about the book, my main website is dan-olsen, D-A-N-O-L-S-E-N.com. That's where um, I have videos of my talks and my slides. If you want to check it out, that's where I blog. Um, and uh, also, I run a, a 6,000-person uh, meetup, sorry, focus on both product management and UX called Lean Product and Lean UX. Cause it's so, you know, and I bring in top speakers. That's down in Mountain View. If anyone's interested, there's information there. Uh, on my website for that as well. Fantastic. Yeah, well, and thank consulting you so wise, much. yeah, and consulting wise, there's yeah. information there. Also, OlsonSolutions.com if people are curious to see some of the past clients. Great. No, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. If you want to find out more about Rocketship.fm, go to Rocketship.fm. It's pretty simple, right? Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss future episodes in this series. And if you like today's episode, tell a friend or two friends or a lot of friends we would love it if you would spread the word and when you can go to rocketship.fm and scroll all the way down and leave your email with us we'll let you know about upcoming episodes but we'll also get you in on a slack channel with thousands of other product people and all sorts of other good stuff that we know you'll be interested in so go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter if you enjoy this content leave us a quick review um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. And we really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple days.